Okay. Um, <clears throat> we come to really the continuation of the last message on motherhood. It, uh, it isn't really a new message. It's, it's the same message. And before we read the outline, I, I just would like to make a couple of points. The first one, you know, the, the very first verse that the sisters read to us, uh, Genesis chapter 3, 16, it, it, it doesn't sound very nice. It says, to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you will bring forth children. Wow, if I read that, I would say, forget it. Who wants that? And maybe you felt that way after listening to me this morning. Maybe you felt like, wow, marriage is hard. Children are impossible. Forget the whole thing. Well, let me tell you, that's a natural view. And that is why we're having this fellowship. Dear saints, motherhood is a divine commission. Don't look at it in a natural way. Don't say, well, it's going to be hard. Everything's hard. Everything good in the human life is hard. Isn't it? And you know why? I'm going to give you the reason why. Because man has fallen. That's why. Everything that is great in the human life will cost you. And the two greatest things in the human life are marriage and children. Of course they're costly. Of course they are. And this verse, Genesis 3, reveals the reason. The reason is man has fallen. You know, we're so self-centered. We just want to have happiness, peace, joy. We want a happy marriage. We want perfect children for ourselves. But we weren't created for ourselves. We were created for God and his economy. And marriage was ordained for God's economy. Motherhood was ordained for God's economy. And others, including my own daughters, they asked me this question. Should we really bring children into such a society like the one we live in today? Yes. Yes, we should. Our children are exactly what this society needs. And listen, these children who are born into this society may very well be the ones who bring the Lord back. If, if you have the natural view, you say, well, no, no first of all, you're telling me I'm going to be in pain, and then you're telling me it's impossible to raise children. Well, that's all true. But what's impossible with man is possible with God because God ordained it. Fulfill your God-ordained 
commission. Don't look at it in a natural way. So I encourage, especially the younger sisters, the unmarried ones, or the ones who may be wondering, should I really have children? Yes, yes, that is your commission. Fulfill your commission. You were born to do that. You were commissioned by God to do that. You know, this age is so confused. It's just so confused. They try to make women into men. They try to make men into women. I'm so glad about those children's books. There's one called, I'm a boy. Hey, let me tell you something about those books um, that you may not know. We use those same books here with our children. What I want to tell you is, you know, Living Stream has never published children's materials, and Living Stream will not publish children's materials because that isn't the job of Living Stream. So, you know, many saints have said, well, why doesn't Living Stream just put out something for the whole recovery? Brother Lee made it very clear to us when he was with us, the mission of Living Stream is to put out the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. But we do need children's publications, don't we? And I just want you to know that those publications, which Andrew introduced to you, those were written very much in fellowship with the co-workers in North America. Some brothers were specifically assigned to write those, and they were, it was done in a lot of fellowship. No, they're not published by Living Stream because Living Stream doesn't publish children's books. But I want you to know, you can have confidence in those books. We use them. Uh, they're very, very good. Um, so don't be discouraged when we say marriage is difficult, raising children is impossible. All it means is we need to live Christ. And we all need, let's be honest, we all need something that we can't do in order to push us to live Christ. If we can do it, we're going to do it. So the Lord ordained something that we can't do. Isn't that wonderful? And, you know, since I'm discouraging you right now, let me make it even worse. If you have, if you have more than one child, you have to learn all over with every single child because what works with one doesn't work with the other. That's why I can't tell you how to raise children. What I did with mine won't do you any good. Besides, I didn't do it right. So if I tell you how to do it, you'll be getting bad information. So should we just give up? No. We should fulfill our commission. Let me just read you a little bit from Matthew chapter 19. You know, the Lord, when he talked about marriage, I noticed something. 
and and you you tell me if I'm wrong. I think I'm right. I went through the four gospels, and you know the Lord Jesus spoke about marriage quite a bit. Do you know every time the Lord spoke about marriage, he spoke about divorce? That's not very encouraging, is it? You know, I used to do a lot of wedding meetings. Now no one wants to invite me to speak at their wedding anymore because every wedding meeting I go to, I speak about divorce. I follow, I follow the pattern of the Lord Jesus in the Gospels. So in Matthew 19, the Lord is talking about the matter of divorce. I just read you a couple verses. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife, except for fornication, and marries another, commits adultery. And he who marries her, who has been divorced, commits adultery. Listen to the disciples' response. His disciples said to him, If the case of the man with his wife is like this, it is profitable not to marry. (laughs) Sounds like us, doesn't it? Oh, you mean it's going to be hard? Oh, then forget it. But listen, right after that, And he said to them, not all men can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born so from their mother's womb. And there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs because of the kingdom of the heavens. He who can accept it, let him accept it. Now listen to the very next verse. Then little children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. (laughs) The disciples did not understand the divine ordination of marriage and they did not understand the divine ordination of children. I've told this story before, forgive me if you've heard it, but I'd like to repeat it. For many years, my wife and I coordinated for a group meeting with a young couple, and my wife and I are older, our kids are grown, but this young couple had three small children. And then we had a new couple who joined our group, and they had two small children. So we had five small children every week in our little group meeting in the home. And, you know, every time we would start to sing, the kids would just go crazy. They'd start banging on the guitar. They'd start asking for dessert. They'd just go crazy. Well, one one Friday night, an older brother came to visit our meeting, uh, older than me, and after the meeting, he told me, he said, brother, this meeting is chaos. 
I said, yeah, isn't it great? And he said, no. He said, we got to get rid of these kids. These kids are ruining the meeting. I said, brother, this meeting is for those kids. You got a wrong concept. It's for them. They're not ruining the meeting. This is their meeting. So, you know, I say again, saints, we need to have a divine view. Marriage is not only for our happiness. (laughs) You know, there's a reason 50% of the people get divorced. It's not easy. Can you imagine doing it without Christ? Can you imagine doing it without the church life? Can you imagine raising children in this perverted age without the church, without the saints, without the spiritual mothers, without the spiritual grandmothers? I can't. But listen, don't be afraid. We do have Christ, and we do have the church, and we do have the saints, and we are raising up a different breed of people than what is coming out of this world. We're raising up the ones who will bring the Lord back in their lifetime. So don't be afraid of this. Be aggressive. Be aggressive. We need children. We need as many as we can get. The Lord needs them. The church needs them. And may the Lord cause us to be fruitful and multiply. Okay, now um, I hope that helps us a little bit. Just remember, the, the sisters have a particular commission before God. No one else can do it. The brothers cannot do what the sisters do. They can't bear children. I don't like to see. I'm sorry. You can't throw anything at me so I can say it. I don't like to see these homosexual couples adopting children. It's perverse. It's perverse. It's against God's ordination. Only a woman and a man together can bear a child. And that's not my opinion. That's the ordination of the creator of mankind. Um, We've got to be washed in the water in the word. We, we need our mind renewed from the perverted philosophy of the age. And, and dear saints, we've got to help our children in this matter. What they hear at school is wrong. What they see on the television is wrong. What they read in the books is wrong. We have to help them to pick up the divine understanding of male and female, the divine understanding of marriage, the divine understanding of what is a family, and the divine understanding of what is the purpose. What is the purpose? i tell you a quick story. I have time. When I was about to get married, 
40 years ago, one of the brothers took me to see Brother Samuel Chang. Now, Ray, Ray knows who that is. Samuel Chang was Watchman Nee's brother-in-law, and he was, uh, even at that time, he was an elderly co-worker. And um, I'm so thankful to this day that this brother took me to see Brother Chang. Um, we just had a very short conversation, and he he talked to me about marriage, and he said, Brother, he said, the one thing you need to know about marriage is it's not for you. It's for God. I said, really? I said, I thought marriage was so that I would be happy. You know, I need a counterpart. I need a help meet. Uh, you mean it's not for me? He said, no, it's not for your happiness. It's for God's economy. Well, I learned, you know, this is, if you have this view, you won't give up on your marriage when times are difficult. You won't say, well, I'm not happy right now. So forget this marriage. No, it's not for you. It's for the church. It's for God's economy. It's for God's purpose. Same with your children. You say, well, these children, they're terrible. Okay, they're terrible. Let me tell you, I've been serving a long time. Some of the real naughty ones who I took care of, I mean real naughty ones, some of them are elders and co-workers today, and they're some of the best elders and co-workers. This is just the Lord's sovereignty. So remember, this commission that we have to, to bear children and to raise them up for the Lord, it's a great commission. It's a divine commission. And the sisters actually have a much greater role in this than the brothers do. Okay, let's come to the outline uh, for message three, which is the second outline on motherhood. The title is God's Ordination Concerning Motherhood and the Function and Love of the Mothers in Raising Up Children Unto the Lord. It was so interesting for me to observe when my children were born. Um, the the you know God created the female with a maternal instinct. It's in every human female, but it isn't manifested until she has a child. And as soon as she has a child, all of the maternal instinct that is innate in a human female, it becomes manifested. It doesn't become manifested until it's needed. And I watched that, you know, just like with the marriage life, 
nobody teaches us how to raise children. And as, as one of our sisters testified this morning, I appreciated her testimony very, very much. Don't waste your time going to the bookstores. They don't have the answer. That, they have a worldly view. They have a worldly philosophy. They don't have the answer. So we have another view, which is God has commissioned us to marry, and he has commissioned us to bear fruit, including human fruit and spiritual fruit for his eternal economy. Let's fulfill that. And let me just tell you, okay, in case you're scared, anyone, is anyone still scared? Let me tell you something. I'm at the other end of it. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I wouldn't trade this life, this marriage life, this church life, this family life. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I am so happy today. Sure, there was lots of struggles along the way. Of course there were. But it's, it's sweeter and sweeter. It's better and better as time goes by. You know why? We're all growing in life. I'm growing in life. My wife's growing in life. My children are growing in life. We're all experiencing the cross. We're all living less in the natural life. We're all living more in the body life. You know what? This life just gets better and better and better. At least that's the normal experience. Okay, now I will cover this outline with you. Uh, Roman numeral one, Genesis 3.16. This is after the fall. This is very significant. This is a word spoken to Eve after the fall. There is no such word like this spoken before the fall. This means that this particular experience that Eve is going to have is related to the fall of man. You know, the Lord also spoke a word to the man. He said, in the, in the, in the sweat of your face, you will eat bread. There was no such word like that before the fall. Adam and Eve did not sweat to get their food. Why do we have to work the way we do? Work's, work is a hardship, isn't it? You know what that work is for? It's to restrict our fallen being. And you know what the pain in childbearing is for? To restrict our fallen being. Let me tell you, the real pain is not in childbearing. The real pain comes after the child is born. <laughs> of course, I don't know. I, I don't know what the pain of childbirth is like. I do know that John 16 says that 
a woman has pain when she travails in birth, but when the child is born, she forgets about the pain because of the joy that a man has been born into the world. Little does she know that man is going to cause a lot of trouble. But it'll help her a lot. You know, this verse is not on your outline, but I hope you would write it down. Um, 1 Timothy 2.15. Let me read you this verse. Um, I don't think it's very well understood. First uh, Timothy two, fifteen. Uh, let, I'll start with fourteen. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, having been quite deceived, has fallen into transgression. But she will be saved through her childbearing. Saved from what? What kind of salvation does First Timothy 2.15 talk about? Have you ever thought about it? It's, you have to put that together with Genesis 3. She will be saved from her fallen flesh. The context proves that. Verse 14 proves that. Uh, the salvation that is rendered actually to both the father and the mother, but much more particularly to the mother. The salvation that is rendered to the mother in childbearing is the salvation from the natural life. It's the salvation from the fallen flesh. You think about it. You check with some of the older sisters who have raised children. They'll tell you. Once you have children, you are very, very restricted. And that's a safeguard. That's a protection. Wouldn't it be terrible? Wouldn't it be terrible if man didn't have to work? He would destroy himself. He would absolutely destroy himself. And wouldn't it be terrible if there was no restriction, no limitation on man's natural being and fallen flesh? Oh, you think the world's bad now? It would be much, much, much worse. So this was God's provision after the fall of man. Number one, that man would have to work in order to eat. And number two, that the woman would be saved through childbearing. Okay, I read on. The suffering in childbearing includes both pregnancy and delivery. The entire matter of childbearing, including pregnancy and delivery, is a matter of pain. Well, of course it is. Of course it is. Don't worry, you'll make it through. Millions and millions and billions of mothers have done it. You'll survive. But it will, it will be painful. 
B says, we all know that childbearing is troublesome, but it was ordained by God as a restriction. The best protection to an unrestricted young woman is to have a number of children. Children are a restriction and a protection to their mothers. Have you ever heard such a thing? Or have you ever thought about that? Those children are your protection. They're your safeguard. Yeah, they restrict you, but that's a good thing. What if you had no restriction and you could just live in your natural life all the time? You would do it. And so would I. That's the way fallen men live. Fallen men need restriction. They need limitation. That's the big help that children render, especially to the mothers. Childbearing and house affairs are a rescue and safeguard to idle busybodies. This isn't our word, this is Paul's word. He said, those, those who do not have this limitation, those who do not have this restriction, they become idle busybodies. Have you ever seen that? I'm sorry to say I have. There is such a thing. So uh, this is God's ordination to restrict and protect women since the fall. Before a sister is married, she, she may not have any change, regardless of how much others minister to her. But after she marries and has several children, these little ones become the best trainers for her. For this reason, I like to see all the young sisters marrying and bringing forth little trainers. And look at the reference that this quote comes from. Look at the book it comes from. It comes from the book, The Normal Way of Fruit Bearing and Shepherding for the Building Up of the Church. You see, having children is part of the normal way of fruit bearing and shepherding for the building up of the church. It's not just going out to the highways and byways and preaching the gospel. It's actually the most effective way to bear fruit and shepherd for the building up of the church. And it's true, our children train us. You know, we have a full-time training. I don't know what your concept of training is. Maybe some of the younger saints think, well, that's to train us to know the truth, or it's to train us to serve, or it's to train our character, I wouldn't say that's wrong 
but I tell you, that's not the basic meaning of training. You know, we use this word training a lot in the Lord's recovery. The training that all of us need in the full-time training, in the church life, and in every kind of training is a training not to live by our natural life, a training not to live in, in our fallen life. That's training. And you can't learn that from teaching. People can give you messages on it. We can sing a hundred hymns on the cross. But the best people to train us to do that are our children and our spouse. Our spouse and our children are the best people to train us not to live in a natural way. Okay, I really like Roman numeral two. Can we read Roman numeral two together? It's a verse. You know, Paul called Timothy his child in the faith. Both Timothy and Titus were spiritual children to Paul. He was not their human father. He was their spiritual father. And you may think that the great apostle raised up Timothy as a co-worker. You got it wrong. Grandma and mom raised up this co-worker. And then later on, Paul perfected him. But without Lois and Eunice, there's nothing for Paul to work with. There's going to be no Timothy. There's going to be no co-worker of Paul unless there's Lois and Eunice. And did you notice that the father of Timothy is not mentioned in this verse? We don't know where he is. Was he there? Or was he gone? I don't know. Um, in Acts, it mentions the father of Timothy. I think it says, if I remember correctly, that his father was a Greek, maybe. But when we come to Timothy, there's no mention of the father. It says there's faith. Paul said, there's faith in you, Timothy. And the way it got into you was through your grandmother and your mother. And the way they infused that faith into you was the sacred writings. Oh, isn't that wonderful? I like, I, I like that. Sorry, I'm going to come back to these children's books. You know, you don't have to, especially with young children, you don't have to read a whole book of the Bible with them. Read them one verse. Read them a golden verse. You know, Brother Lee talked about some verses in the Bible are golden verses. Read them one golden verse. 
and get that into them. Faith will get into them. Oh, no doubt. That's what Lois and Eunice did. A says, Paul says that Timothy knew the Bible since he was a babe. I believe that when Timothy's mother was feeding him, she must have been speaking the Bible to him. The faith in Timothy came from his mother and his grandmother. You know, there's a verse in Timothy which bothers a lot of people. It says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. And, you know, this is referring to teaching in the sense of the ministry of the word and the definition of doctrine. Of course, Christianity breaks this principle routinely. But in the Lord's recovery, we do practice this. And maybe you wonder, well, what's wrong with the sisters? I went to the full-time training. I took the same classes as the brothers did. And I can prophesy better, better than most of them. Yeah, maybe you can. But the function of the sisters is to teach in the home. And they can do that kind of teaching much better than the brothers. You know why? The brothers are too complicated. They'll start giving the kid a message. You know, in the beginning, there was a river and a tree. And at the end of the Bible, there's a city built out of these precious stones. And the river is there and the tree is there. And a kid is just bored. But mothers know how to teach children in a way that children can receive it. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not joking. I'm being honest. Um, I love to minister the word. And I, in the past, I, I spoke a lot with the young people. You know, I found out it's hard to speak to the young people. And the younger they are, the harder it is. It's really easy to speak to you. But if you give me a group of junior hires, I'll be scared to death. I, I just, I don't know how to talk to them. And I'm not very good at it. Um, the mothers are really good in this kind of home teaching. Because they, they, can, they can feed and nourish the children in a simple way and in a way that the children can receive it. So sisters, I still encourage you go to the full-time training, learn the divine truths. We still need you to prophesy in the prophesying meeting. You know, the brethren, at least some brethren groups here in the United States, they don't allow sisters to utter a single word in any church meeting. They can't pray and they can't prophesy. 
How about that? But 1 Corinthians talks about a woman prophesying. It says when the woman prophesies, she should have her head covered. So that means the women should prophesy. And certainly the women should pray. Tomorrow we're going to have a whole message on prayer. So we need the sisters to be constituted with the truth. We don't need them to teach from the podium, but we certainly need them to prophesy. And we need them to preach the gospel. We need them to shepherd. And we especially need them to teach in the home. That's, you know, even humanly, the raising up of children in their character, it's mostly done by the mother because typically the mother is the one who spends more time with the children. Okay, let me read on. In addition to the knowledge of the New Testament, Timothy also had, from his childhood, a good foundation in the knowledge of the Old Testament. He was one who was fully perfected and equipped to minister the Word of God, not only in caring for a local church, but also in confronting the increasing decline of the church. You know, uh, we're, we're inferring here, but at the time of Timothy's life, not much of the New Testament was written. So no doubt what Eunice and Lois spoke to him was largely from the Old Testament. This became a kind of perfecting. And then Paul added so much to Timothy of what became the New Testament. Today, all the saints in the Lord's recovery, especially the young people, need the understanding of the Word of God and understanding of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Well, I say again, don't be afraid of this. Uh, it doesn't mean that we're all going to have an equal amount of understanding of the Old Testament and the New Testament. What it means is this, the, the truth, 100% of the truth is in one book. It's in the Bible. <clears throat> and the Bible has 66 books. And we should endeavor in our lifetime to read the Bible as many times as we can, and to gain an understanding of these 66 books of the Bible. It will take our whole life. I just tell you, I've been working on it a long time. It'll take your whole life. But what a joyful endeavor. And the recovery version with the footnotes gives it to you. It gives you that basic understanding of each book. Oh, don't you treasure the recovery version? I, I just, I just love it so much. You know, you, every book, it has the subject. And that subject is the crystallization of the whole book. And then it has outlines. Ah, 
those are priceless. You know, if all you did, I encourage you to do more than this, but if all you did in your pursuit of the truth was read the recovery version and footnotes, you will know the truth. You'll have a basic understanding of the truth. Of course, we have a lot more than the recovery version, but, but that's the place to start. Start there. Start with a daily reading of the Word of God. And it doesn't matter how much you read. It doesn't matter how fast you read. You've got your whole life. The important thing is we want to gain an understanding of the Word of God, including God's thought concerning marriage, God's thought concerning motherhood, God's thought concerning males and females. The Word of God needs to renew our mind. And we need to be washed in the water in the Word because our mind has become polluted by the philosophy of the age. The only thing that can counteract that poison <clears throat> is the Word of God. So let's take in the Word of God every day. And our young people who are bombarded with this perverse philosophy, don't debate, don't argue, just wash them. Wash them with the water of the Word. That will counteract all that wrong kind of philosophy. <clears throat> Okay, B says, the Bible does not emphasize spiritual education in schools. You know, there aren't any seminaries in the New Testament. Paul did not attend the uh, <clears throat> Jerusalem Institute of Theology. No, there's no such thing. The Bible does not emphasize spiritual education in schools. It emphasizes the homes. This refers mainly to the education rendered by mothers. So sisters, you do teach. You teach new ones. And it's a critical function of teaching. And it's a, it's a kind of teaching that the brothers are not very good at. <clears throat> okay, small one. Young sisters who are 14 or 15 years old will one day be mothers and wives. The best equipping to prepare yourselves to be mothers and wives is the spiritual education. Oh, I'm so glad the way the Lord's recovery has progressed. We have a really good, pardon me for using this word, but we have a really good system of education for our young people, beginning with the children's meetings, beginning with those books that Andrew introduced, beginning with all the children's meeting lessons and the neighborhood children's meetings and then we go on 
to the camps and to the summer school of truth and to the young people's retreats. And then we have this amazing thing called the full-time training, which is better than any seminary on earth. Um, we have we have the system of spiritual education available to us. We need to pray for our young people and our children. We need to do our best, but we can't force them. Like we saw in the last message, we can't control them. You know, both of my children at different times told me, they said, Dad, I'm not interested in the full-time training. <clears throat> now, they both know that I have been involved in the full-time training since it began in Taipei in 1986. They know this. What should I say to my children? I had to deny myself. I had to turn to my spirit. And I told them, I said, the full-time training is not for everybody. If you don't want to go, you shouldn't go. And then I, I strengthened it in this way. I told them, whatever you do, if you do decide to go, don't go to make me happy because it won't make me happy. It will only make me happy if it's your choice. That's not easy to say. Then my wife and I prayed desperately <laughs> behind the scenes. And then the first one, she came and talked to me. She said, well, you know, Dad, I think I might go one term. I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah, one term's good. Um, not, not everybody goes for two years. One term is good. Then we prayed some more. And... Then she said, you know, Dad, I changed my mind. I'm going to go for a year. I said, oh, wait, a year's good. A year's good. Then we prayed some more. She graduated. Then my younger one told me, you know, Dad, I don't think the full-time training's for me. I don't think I'm cut out for that. I said, well, maybe you're not. Then we prayed. And we went through the same thing. First, it was one term. Then it was one year. Next thing you know, she graduated. My point is, we can encourage them and we can pray, but don't force them. I do know some young people who were forced to go to the training, and it didn't turn out well. It, it didn't turn out well. Okay, let me, let me move on. Here's another pattern for the sisters. It's Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus, in Luke chapter 1. Oh, I like this. 
Mary's poetic praise is composed of many quotations from the Old Testament. Have you ever noticed this? You've got to read those 10 or 11 verses in Luke chapter 1. Man, Mary sounds like a concordance of the Old Testament. She knows the word of God. And I mean, she can speak it. This indicates that she was a godly woman qualified to be a channel of the Savior's incarnation. It also indicates that the Lord Jesus would grow up in a family which would be filled with the knowledge and love of God's holy word. You know, we don't believe like the Catholics do that Mary is anything other than a common person, even a common sinner. I, I was taught in the Catholic Church that Mary had no sin. That's wrong. The Bible never says that. The only one who had no sin is Jesus Christ. Mary had sin. So we don't exalt Mary in that way. But we do say God chose her for a reason. And one of the reasons he chose Mary is she was a lover of God's word. No wonder. You know, this is Luke chapter 1. You know what happens in Luke chapter 2? You see a 12-year-old Jesus doing what? Studying the scriptures. Where did that desire come from in that 12-year-old boy? You know, don't think that Jesus came out of Mary's womb knowing the Old Testament. No, 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 no. No. He had to study it. He had to read it, just like you and me. In his humanity, he had to learn the scriptures, just like you and me. And, and the time he started is 12. You know, that's about right, isn't it? Now, you may say, well, you just told us Timothy knew the sacred writings from a babe. Well, don't misunderstand. Timothy heard some things from his grandmother and mother as a baby. But, you know, you can't really begin to comprehend the truth and to pursue it until you're around 12 years old. I, I mean, it's not a legal matter, but you know, that's about right. Don't you agree? It's like a junior high age. That's when the God man Jesus started. He started studying the Old Testament. Something motivated him to do that. What was it? He grew up in a home that was filled with the love of God's word. i tell you another story. This one made me really, really happy. One of my, my younger daughter, when she was uh, in school, uh, she had an assignment, and the assignment was to um, 
they said, we want you to take a picture, a photograph, take a photograph of your father that is embodies what you think of when you think of your father. Something like that. So she came home from school that day and she said, okay, dad, I need to take a picture of you. She said, I want you to sit, sit in your favorite chair and open your Bible. And I need to take a picture of you. I said, what are you talking about? And then she told me what the assignment was. I said, hallelujah, hallelujah. I want that on my tombstone. She, th she thought of her dad as a guy who sits around reading the Bible. I love it. Wow. Highest compliment I could ever get. So Mary provided, you know, and it's interesting. Again, I say, hey, where's Joseph in this picture? He's not around, is he? It doesn't mean he wasn't involved, but it means that the cultivation of the love for God's word mainly came from Mary. It mainly came from Mary. Okay, I read on. Although Mary was a young woman, she was very knowledgeable concerning the Old Testament and could quote verses from it in her praise to God. This proves that although Mary had never gone to a seminary, she was very familiar with the Old Testament. No wonder God chose her to be the mother of Jesus. Amen. Before the church will be rich, there must be grandmothers like Lois and mothers like Eunice who raise, edify, and nurture their children in the discipline of the Lord. If there are no such people, the church will never be rich. Let me come back to something I mentioned this morning. For a variety of reasons, some of us will not bear physical children. Um, I don't know why. That's just a fact. You know, it seems like I, 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 I loved another testimony that one of the sisters gave. I think it was the first one. And she talked about the difficulty to conceive a child and, and then the, the need to pray. And I appreciated that very much. You know, it appears that the birth of children is simply the result of a biological act. Not so. According to the Bible, children are given to us from the Lord. They, it, it's not just a biological process. No. They are specifically given to us by the Lord. That child and that number of children, that's ordained by God. It's not determined by the parents. <clears throat> and for some reason, some don't 
conceive. You know, I have known a number of couples. I'm thinking of one in particular right now. But I've known a number of couples. For some reason, they just never had children. It just didn't ever happen. But they were really faithful saints. They loved the Lord. They loved the church. They loved the saints. And, you know, they became spiritual parents to the saints' children. You know, it, that's, as va- that's as valuable as having your own children. It is. And it's as necessary. Because as all parents know, at a certain point, they're not going to listen to you. They might listen to one of the other saints, but not to you. So we need spiritual aunts. We need spiritual uncles. We need spiritual grandfathers. We need spiritual grandmothers. And some of these saints fulfill that function in a wonderful way. And the fact that they don't have children of their own actually means their time is very free so that they can really minister to the children of the saints. So don't be discouraged. No matter what your situation is, the Lord will find a function for you. Now, another one of our sisters this morning in her prophecy, she mentioned that she's at the stage in her life where she is like a spiritual grandma. And I like this because... There is a tremendous need in the Lord's recovery. And I just, I'm very burdened for this point. It's in Titus chapter 2, verse 4. And it's the third main point on this outline. And I want to read you the whole verse. The outline only quotes part of it. I would like to read you the whole verse, Titus 2.4. It says this. Oh, um, okay. So let me start with verse 3. Older women. Okay, so we're going to talk about what the older women should do in the church life. Older women, likewise, to be in demeanor as befits those who engage in sacred things, not slanderers, not enslaved by much wine, teachers of what is good, teachers, that they may train the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be of a sober mind, pure, workers at home, good, subject to their own husbands, that the word of God would not be blasphemed. Oh, older sisters, we need you. 
We need you very, very, very much to do this function. We have so many young couples in the recovery. They're struggling. You know what their struggle is. You lived it. You went through it. The early struggles in the marriage life, the early struggles with children, who can help them? Their peers can't help them. Their peers don't, their peers are, are experiencing the same thing. They don't have any answers. They need a mother. They need a grandmother. You can do something. A 70-year-old sister or a 60-year-old sister can do something that no young sister can do. And you know what that is? You can really shepherd a 40-year-old wife and mother. And, and I love this, this. Did you notice in this verse, it doesn't talk about spiritual things. It says, train them to do what? Love their husband. Love their children. Work in their home. Be subject to their husband. Be good. It's very human, isn't it? And this is the help, my sisters. This is the help that so many saints in their 30s and 40s really need. You know, you you all know, uh, not today because of the virus, but most of the time I'm traveling all over the earth and the recovery has grown a lot. And I'm, I'm very, very thankful for that. I rejoice in that, but I'll tell you one thing I don't rejoice in more and more as the recovery grows uh, and the numbers increase, <coughs> we see more and more problems among marriages more and more problems among families. What's the solution? The elders? No, actually not. The solution is the older women. Have you ever thought about it, sisters? The brothers, the brothers can't help this problem, but you can. You can speak to the young mothers and the young wives, and you can train them. You can train them humanly. And that doesn't mean we give them ethics. No, we minister Christ to them so that they'll have a normal human life. That's, that's what it is. It's if you experience Christ and the cross, you will have this kind of life that, that uh, Paul is describing in Titus. But I just like to point out that this is a very particular function of the older women. Um, you know, my wife really loves serving with the children. She'd been serving with the children for 40 years and it's very precious. She loves the little children, but I told her recently we're in our mid-60s. We have a lot of people who can care for the little children. 
we don't have that many people who can care for the saints in their 40s and 50s. And uh, we need to fulfill that function as well. You know, you never outgrow your need for shepherding, do you? I think it was in the first message that you heard in this training. Um, the Apostle Paul called the mother of Rufus his mother. Can you believe that the Apostle Paul needed a spiritual mother? He did. You never, ever outgrow your need for shepherding. The older I get, the more I appreciate the brothers who are quite a bit older than me. I still need them. I need them very much. They have a lot of experience that I don't have. And the same thing applies with the sisters. So sisters, you can't retire. I'm sorry. No retirement in the church life. You just go from one service to another. And the older sisters need to train the younger sisters. I really pray for this. I pray that this will be recovered among us this particular function, if so, the families would be much stronger in the church life. Okay, A says, in a father's treatment of his children, the Bible emphasizes not provoking them to anger, because that's what fathers are prone to do, and nurturing them in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. In a mother's treatment, the emphasis is on love. Mothers can never be successful if they do not love their children. But be careful. There is a natural love which will actually damage your children, and there is a love in resurrection which will minister Christ to your children. If a family does not have a mother's love, it can never be a good family. Without a mother's love, a family is crippled. Therefore, the young sisters who are mothers must learn to love their children. Our love should not be a natural love, but a love in resurrection. Every parent has some partial love. If you have several children, you will love one of them more than the others, according to your taste. Look at Jacob. Jacob was that way. And all the children will know who is the object of your partial love? Jacob's, uh, 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 Jacob's children all knew. They all knew. This partial love is not according to our spirit. It is according to our natural taste. We love a particular boy or girl because he or she suits our natural taste. This is the natural life. So, you know... This is why I've been emphasizing in this message that we have to be trained not to live in the natural life. It's very easy for a mother to love her children. 
it's not easy for her to love her children in resurrection. Natural love is like honey. Instead of a honey love, we need a love that is in resurrection, a love that has been killed by the cross and resurrected with the divine life. There is no honey in such a love. You know, one time the Lord was ministering in a house and he was so burdened that he didn't eat. And they came to him and they said, your mother and your brothers and your sisters, they're outside and they're concerned for you. He said, I'm paraphrasing. He said, that's not my mother. Those aren't my brothers. Those aren't my sisters. My mother, my brothers, and my sisters are the people in this house doing the will of God. Mary had a natural love for Jesus. And that natural love needed to pass through death and enter into resurrection. The Lord had a real, genuine love for Mary, but it wasn't natural. It was altogether in resurrection. The more we deny the self, the more we are in resurrection. The more we forsake our own love, the more we will love others. Formerly, our love was low and limited, but our love in resurrection is heavenly and unlimited. You know, that's one of the characteristics of (coughs) the divine attributes compared to the human virtues. We do have a human virtue of love, but it's very, very limited, and it can run out real quickly. If it can run out, it's natural. If it's the divine attribute of love, it's unlimited and it's impartial. Well, may the Lord train us in our marriage life, in our family life, with our children, to live a life in resurrection that will present a good pattern and at the same time minister the divine life into our family members and fulfill your divine commission. Sisters, don't be afraid to be married and to have children. This is your commission from the Lord. Okay, let's pray a little bit, and then we'll have some prophesying.